This is CPX number 87, Holy Orders 3. This is the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X, CPX, page 106, just question and answer 13 and 14 and 15. God give you his peace. In nomine Patris, Fidei, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler Spirit, Spirit of Truth, who art present everywhere and filling all things, treasure of all good and source of all life, come dwell in us. Cleanse us and save us, you who are all good. Amen. In nomine Patris, Fidei, Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Number 13, if one were to enter the ecclesiastical state without a divine vocation, would he do wrong? Answer, if one were to enter the ecclesiastical state without a divine vocation, he would commit a great wrong and run the risk of being lost. Number 14, do those parents sin who, from worldly motives, impel their sons to embrace the ecclesiastical state without any vocation? Answer, those parents who, for worldly motives, impel their sons to embrace the ecclesiastical state without any vocation, commit a very grave sin, because by thus acting, they usurp the right God has reserved to himself alone of choosing his own ministers, and they expose their children to the danger of eternal damnation. Number 15. Which are the duties of the faithful towards those who are called to holy orders? Answer. The faithful should 1. Give their children and dependents full liberty to follow the call of God. Number two, pray God to deign to grant good pastors and zealous ministers to his church. It is precisely for this end that the fasts of quarter tense have been instituted. And number three, have special respect for all who are consecrated by holy orders to God's service. Thus are the words of the Holy Pope. I just want to give two quick notes here. You know, number 14 says that those parents who for worldly motives impel their sons to embrace the ecclesiastical state without any vocation commit a very grave sin. Now, us in the United States, that's a little bit weird for us to hear. And part of this is because our seminaries are free. If you go to a place like Africa, many times these seminarians have to pay their own way. And also in very poor countries, priests may be the only people who have a decent income, uh, or have even decent housing. And so when the Pope wrote this 100 or 150 years ago in Italy, this was a time when young men had to pay their own way through seminary. Just read the story of uh, St. John Bosco. He had to work in a restaurant to get enough money to pay his way through seminary. So this was back in a time when he wrote this when there could be worldly honors. Nowadays, with uh, kind of how us priests are seen out in the public, and especially in the West where seminaries are paid for, at least in the United States, it's a little bit more rare for parents to push their kids to enter seminary because there's really not a lot of worldly benefits these days uh, to being a priest unless you're very ambitious for like the biggest parish and the biggest rectory and you want to be a bishop in a nice home and stuff like that. But there, this is a warning to some of the third world countries where there can be a motivation for priests uh, or young men to become priests, not for the salvation of souls, but for money. So that number 14 is still very valid for some of the third world countries out there. And just a quick note for number 15, you heard the Pope say that parents should give their children and dependents full liberty to follow the call of God. I think that's really important these days because maybe more middle-of-the-road Catholic parents discourage celibacy among their kids, where maybe some traditionalists might push it a little bit hard. And so I love what the Pope says here, to give them full liberty. So from a young age, you do want to show kids the glory of the religious life and the glory of the priesthood, 
keeping in mind everything I said in the last two holy orders of the political difficulties that is in the priesthood and religious life right now, but objectively speaking, uh, the celibate life is higher than the married life. That's in Luke chapter 20. That's in 1 Corinthians 7. That's in the Council of Trent. All those three things are infallible. Luke chapter 20, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and the Council of Trent all say celibacy of the kingdom is higher than marriage. That's not my opinion. That's just the church's teaching. Um, but in encouraging kids to discern celibacy, keep in mind what I said in Holy Orders 1 and 2 about the political difficulties right now that we can have in a time of church crisis as you encourage the kids to celibacy, either be that single consecrated life or religious life as a sister, nun, or brother, or in the priesthood, be that the diocesan priesthood or the religious priesthood. Now, because today is a little bit short, I want to beef up today on the priesthood with a book called Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma by Ludwig Ott. Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma by Ludwig Ott is a book that conglomerates all of the infallible teachings of the Bible and the Catholic Church into one single book. I'm going to link in the show notes a non-Amazon link to this for $65 for the hardback. Again, I don't make any money on this. I just want you guys to have kind of the next graduated version up from the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X. Or you can get the softback that I have on Amazon. Again, this is called Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma by Ludwig Ott. The beginning of it explains the theological grades of certainty. Many Catholics want to know what is the minimum I have to believe, what is infallible. And this book, because it goes through all of the teachings of the church, and then as it goes through the teachings of the church, it tells you at which level of theological grade of certainty that is at. So let's look at those first. The highest degree of certainty appertains to the immediately revealed truths. The belief due to them is based on the authority of God revealing fides divina, and if the church, through its teaching, vouches for the fact that a truth is contained in Revelation, one certainty is then also based on the authority of the infallible teaching authority of the church, fides catholica, if truths are defined by a solemn judgment of faith definition of the Pope or of a general council, they are called de fide definita. Catholic truths or church doctrines on which the infallible teaching authority of the church has finally decided are to be accepted with a faith which is based on the sole authority of the church, fides ecclesiastica. These truths are as infallibly certain as dogmas proper. A teaching proximate to faith, sententia fide proxima, is a doctrine which is regarded by theologians generally as a truth of revelation, but which has not yet been finally promulgated as such by the Church. A teaching pertaining to the faith that is theologically certain, sententia ad fidem pertinens, i.e. theologicae certae, is a doctrine on which the teaching authority of the Church has not yet finally pronounced, but whose truth is guaranteed by its intrinsic connection with the doctrine of revelation, theological conclusions. And then these are less certain. The next section here is less certain. Common teaching, sententia communis, is doctrine which in itself belongs to the field of free opinions, but which is accepted by theologians generally. I have to keep in mind, he wrote this about 100 years ago before we had uh, all the modernism sneaking in so badly. There was a little bit, but when he says theologians generally, he means good traditional theologians. Theological opinions of lesser grades of certainty are called probable, more probable, well-founded, 
And the Latin for those three is sententia probabilis, probabilior et benefundata. Those which are regarded as being in agreement with the consciousness of faith of the church are called pious opinions, sententia pie. The least degree of certainty is possessed by the tolerated opinion, opinia tolerata, which is only weakly founded, but which is tolerated by the church. So notice right there that the highest level of revelation is de fide, de fide definita. But notice right here that fides ecclesiastica, that's the next level under de fide, Fides Ecclesiastica is these infallible teachings which the church has finally decided upon, and Ott says these are to be accepted with a faith which is based on the sole authority of the church. Now listen to this, this next line. These truths are infallibly certain as dogmas proper. Did you just catch that? De Fide, which many people think is the only infallible level. Well, it's not true. De Fide is truly infallible, but so is the next level, Fides Ecclesiastica. In fact, the very next level, Sententia Fide Proxima, Ott says that these are regarded by theologians generally as a truth of revelation, but which has not yet been finally promulgated as such by the church. So that shows you at least the three top levels are infallible. But see, today we are minimalists. We always ask, what's the minimum I need to believe as a Catholic to be saved? Love doesn't fit into that. Can you imagine like a newly married man who says to his wife, hey, what's the minimum amount of nights I have to be home eating dinner with you because I got this bowling league that I really like hanging out with the guys. You know, if she were in her right mind, she'd say, you don't have to come home at all. I'd like you to be home six or seven nights a week to eat dinner with me, but I guess you don't have to if you don't want to. <laughs> you know, there's a little bit of a lack of love. There's a lot of a lack of love in that question. What's the minimum, honey, that I need to be around for dinner? So we are in a very legalistic time in church history when people say, What's the minimum I need to believe as far as infallibility? Well, two problems with this. One, there's very little love in that question. But secondly, when people respond, only de fide documents or sometimes people are really in error and they say things like only ex cathedra statements, they really are not in touch with the magisterium of the Catholic Church, which has several different levels, including de fide, but also, again, uh, Fides Ecclesiastica and Sententia Fide Proxima, which are infallible divine revelation. And so let's look a little bit at how this applies to the priesthood, since we're going to go a little bit deeper than the Catechism of Pope St. Pius X today. One of the first statements from Ott on the Holy Priesthood or Holy Orders is De Fide, highest level of infallibility, the sacrament of order confers sanctifying grace on the recipient. Ott writes, as a sacrament of a living, the sacrament of order affects per se an increase of sanctifying grace. He then quotes Pope Pius XI teaching in the encyclical Ad Catholici Sacerdoti. This was written in 1935. By the sacrament of order, the priest receives also a new and special grace and a particular help by means of which he can cope in a worldly fashion and with unfailing courage with the high obligations of the office he has assumed and fulfill the duties thereof. End quote. So notice unfailing courage is part of what is given to priests. So is wisdom. You know, it's not just the sacraments. The sacraments are awesome, but it's not just the sacraments that is given to us. Another de fide statement is the sacrament of order imprints a character on the recipient. Ott writes, as a sinium, sinium configurativum, it assimilates the possessor to Christ the eternal high priest. As a sinium distinctivum, it distinguishes the consecrated man from the layman. 
and from the possessors of non-hierarchical grades of order. As a signum depositivum, it enables and, en and entitles him to exercise the hierarchical powers of the order in question. As a signum oblivicativum, it obliges him to dispense the saving treasures of the church and to lead a morally pure life. Uh, so notice right there, as I said earlier, Jesus Christ is the only true high priest, and we are participants in that. Another De Fide infallible statement in Ludwig Ott's Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma on the priesthood is, the sacrament of order confers a permanent spiritual power on the recipient. That is De Fide. Another infallible De Fide statement, the ordinary dispenser of all grades of order, both the sacramental and the non-sacramental, is the validly consecrated bishop alone. We talked about that in Holy Orders Part 2. How about a statement on Ad about the Holy Priesthood at a level lower than De Fide as far as theological levels of certainty? Well, he writes, The sacrament of order can be validly received by a baptized person of the male sex only, and that is sententia certa. That's a few lower, levels lower than De Fide. But uh oh, if that's a few levels lower than De Fide, and we know De Fide is infallible, does that mean it's not infallible that only men can be priests? Well, let's look at what Theologice Certe says. It says, A teaching pertaining to the faith, theologically certain, is Theologice Certe. And this is a doctrine, quote, on which the teaching authority of the church has not yet finally pronounced, but whose truth is guaranteed by its intrinsic connection with the doctrine of revelation. So that's really important there. Even though it's not labeled de fide, it flows from other De Fide things that we know that Christ only ordained men at the Last Supper. And so we live in, a, as I said earlier, many of the progressive Catholics are a lot like the Pharisees. That's really funny. They call us traditionalist Pharisees. But what was the main issue with the Pharisees? They put legalism ahead of common sense. They didn't realize, as Christ came to show them, that Abraham's faith was first of all faith, but secondly, at a distant second of faith, common sense is attached to that. And that's where, even though De Fide is the highest level, even the lower levels, it says, have a truth which is guaranteed by its intrinsic connection to the doctrine of revelation. So that means right there, it is infallible that only men can be priests. It is infallible that women cannot be priests because this is a truth guaranteed by its intrinsic connection to the De Fide revelation, divine revelation that we see Christ ordaining only men at the Last Supper. So, the two reasons to look a little bit deeper than just De Fide statements is one, we see that the truths of revelation are guaranteed by what flows from the De Fide statements by common sense. And secondly, the lover of God doesn't say, what's the minimum I need to do to believe to follow you, Jesus? Please say in Our Father for me, at benedictio Dei omnipotentis, Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti, descendit super vos, et mani et semper. Amen.